Well, good to see those of you that are here and online. It's good to have you with us and to be together virtually. I've been thinking and praying all week about what our response as a church should be uh, to what has been discovered with the residential schools in Kamloops. And I actually, I wrote something out early this morning and, you know, I'm just, I'm going to actually hold on that. Uh, I'm just going to actually just, I felt like the Holy Spirit just told me to to hold on that again. I, I will say this, that our desire is for transformation of the indigenous people in this land and that they would come to know the life saving power of Jesus. And that's our heart. And so we do not want to make this political. We want to really guard against that. Um, but we do, we do care deeply about what has happened. Um, and our country does need to really grapple with what's going on in this. And so um, we will say something yet. Uh, I, I would encourage you in the meantime, let, let's, and, and you probably are, let's, let's be in prayer for this. This is, this is very, very important for our nation in these days. So we are, we're in the I Am series. Um, the subtitle of this series is Seeing Jesus for All That He Is For Us. And, and I said this in last week's message, but it really applies to, to every one of these claims that we're looking at here in the Gospel of John. And that is that these statements that Jesus makes, they, they are to, either total hubris, like just full of totally misguided arrogance, or they are staggering truth. Like, like there is no in-between when you consider what he is saying in these claims and what he is laying before us. And I think I said this last week too, he doesn't seek to bring clarification to them. He, he just, he says it and he leaves it for us to grapple with the staggering words that he's saying. And, and if you've been a Christian for a long time or, or you've been around church culture for a while or you've read scripture consistently, you know, these words that we're going through, they're well-known. Like, like they're, on, they're on posters, they're on plaques, they're on all sorts of stuff that people put in their homes. I mean, you, you see some of these things and you've just, we've seen them over and over and over again. And so... I've, I was thinking about this as, as I've been going through this. Like I, I need to see this. I want to see these statements and what Jesus is saying here with fresh eyes and with open ears that I'm not just you know, getting into that they are so common to us or they can be. And, and if they're not, great. Because, man, if you're, if you're going through these statements for the first time, uh, you know, I kind of... Those are one of the, some of the things I wish that I could almost have that opportunity where I would come to this and be like, I've never read this before. Whoa. Um, and you know what? And the Holy Spirit can do that for us. He can do that for us even now if we've read these a hundred times. And so today we're, we're coming to the third and actually sort of the fourth I am statements here in the Gospel of John where Jesus is speaking of being the good shepherd. He also in here is where he talks about being the gate or the door, depending on the translation that you're reading. And, and once again in John, this conversation is preceding events that provide really important context for what Jesus says. They're, they're, this is not disconnected 
within the Gospel of John of what is happening here in the text. And so uh, we need to understand that what comes before this in John 9 is really, really important for how it ties in and helps us understand John 10. And so um, what that is is this man that was born blind from birth that Jesus and his disciples come upon and was healed just prior to this. And so when they, when they come upon him, the disciples, they ask Jesus this question, and it reveals the prejudice that was in the culture. They say, Jesus, why, was this, why is this man born blind? Was it because of his sin or his parents' sin? So there, there is this inherent prejudice that some sin in them is what has led to where they're, to, has led to his blindness. And Jesus responds, he actually, it's, it's really something he says, he says, neither. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Just chew on that, even. We're not going to, we're going to keep moving. But, and, then, and then Jesus heals him, and, and, he, and he does it too in this really odd, unique way. He doesn't, like many times, doesn't just touch him or, or speak. He actually gets down and spits. And I'd imagine it was a fair amount of spit that he maybe had to spit into the ground, into the dust. And he makes this mud-like substance and puts it over the man's eyes and then tells him to go wash in the pool, I think it's of Siloam, in order to be healed. Like you go, what? Why would Jesus not just speak or touch him? There's... And, and, and there's some theologians, and, and this could be that he's, Jesus is pointing back to Genesis and how God made us from the dust. But whatever, regardless, Jesus did that. And the people around him that, that saw this after the man healed her, they couldn't believe it. Because they were like, no, no, no. They, they didn't actually, some of them didn't even think it was him. Because they're like, this can't be. No way. And, and the religious leaders then around, they get word of this miracle and they haul him before one of their councils. And see, one of the things is it's a big mistake by Jesus because guess what? Again, it's like he does this on purpose. He healed them on the Sabbath. Huge taboo, right? The religious leaders are up in arms like, how dare you? They pull this guy. They're questioning his story. They're like, you weren't really born blind. This couldn't happen. He's like, no, 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 I was. They hauled in his parents. They were like, they questioned them. Like, was he born blind? Yes, he was. His parents, for fear of the religious leaders, they wouldn't testify to what Jesus did, even though they knew. And, and so they bring the man in again. They're talking to him. And he's refusing to change his story. He's like, he, in fact, he grew in boldness and testifies to Jesus' power and the leaders, in response, they accuse him. They say, you were steeped in sin since birth. Now, the irony of this is that that's exactly what they would have thought why he was born blind. And now he's healed. And they're still saying, you're steeped in sin. Like the, it's just amazing, the irony here. And that what they, it says that they threw him out, meaning they likely barred him from the temple. They were like, you're done. We don't want any part of you. And Jesus finds him, it says. He finds him. It's an echo of what is to come. He finds him. And he asks him if he believes in the Son of God, God's anointed one. Do you ever think about what that man went through? And Jesus finds him. 
And he reveals himself, one of the few times he reveals himself as the Messiah. And the man, it says, worshipped him. It's the appropriate response. And Jesus says this, he says, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see or claim to see will become blind. Elsewhere, Jesus calls the Pharisees in Matthew 23, he says, you are blind guides. It's the blind leading the blind. So they know who Jesus is speaking to. So John 10 is on the heels of John 9. And it's both a rebuke to those who would disregard those in need, but also it's Jesus revealing what he has come to accomplish. He came to lead and tend the sheep. And this this is a continuation. John 10 is a continuation of the conversation from John 9. So let's open up the word. Let's get into John 10. Jesus, I, I just want to pray right now as we get into this text and these words that you spoke that are just full of life and truth and goodness for us, that you would open up the eyes of our hearts, Lord, that you would penetrate past things that we have that are keeping us from seeing you for all that you are. And Jesus, I pray that we would see with such unrestrained clarity who you are this morning. And I pray this, Jesus, in your powerful, powerful, glorious, wonderful name. Amen. So let's read. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he is brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to go on. I was thinking about stopping, but I'll go on. Uh, it, would also, it would also mess up the slides. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come and in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep, but when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. 
They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, He is a demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So I want to highlight three reasons from here that Jesus came to find us that he reveals in these verses. First, Jesus came to invite us into relationship. We see this in verses 1 to 5. Jesus, he's, he's using this relationship between a shepherd and his sheep to speak of his purpose. This, and this symbolism is significant throughout these verses. I mean, we, we see it here when we're reading it, right? And it's, it's harder for those of us who, who don't know that much about shepherding or it's not part of our culture like it was back in the first century when Jesus is talking about this. But, but we, want to, we want to try and understand a little bit from what we know of what Jesus is, is getting at here. And so it says in verse 4, he says, My sheep follow me. And Jesus, it's, it's speaking about how Jesus is leading us. And, and so I'm going to reference it several times. I mean, Jen knew where I was speaking from this morning, obviously from John 10, but she had no idea I was going to be going to Psalm 23 a lot. And so... You know, that, that's just the, the, the wonderful way in which the Holy Spirit works during worship to say, hey, let's read Psalm 23, because I'm thinking, I'm going there a lot this morning, and it's so good. Um, Psalm 23 speaks of the Lord leading us in paths of righteousness, or what that can also mean is into healthy situations. And so there's, in shepherding, there's this importance of the sheep being kept on the move. They actually cannot be left on the same ground for too long. They have to move from pasture to pasture. And, and so what this does, from what I understand, and I'm not an expert, again, I'm reading stuff, but from what I understand, it prevents overgra- overgrazing of land. It prevents the land from erosion, from overuse, of the sheep. It guards the sheep against disease from parasites and other things because they, they don't stay too long through the life cycle of certain parasites. And, and, and the point is that the shepherd knows what the sheep need. And here's the thing. The sheep think they know what they need. The sheep think they know exactly what they want to do. And the Lord is like, the shepherd is like, no, no, no. The sheep are like, let's camp out here. And the shepherd's like, no, you need to move on. And it's important that the sheep stay close to the shepherd who leads them out. Jesus is our guide. This is, this is, now, this is not about a set of rules or laws. I'm not talking about that. Although, like, there is ways that reflect the character of Jesus And they are meant to be modeled by his followers. Absolutely. We are meant to model and live out of the character of Jesus and the fruit of the Holy Spirit and all of that. But the picture, and and so the picture here is of that, really. It's the essence of relationship with Jesus. 
That, that, and, and we are enabled and empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, that's what he speaks about later in John 16, where he says that the Holy Spirit will come, he will lead you and guide you into all truth, and Jesus now, he speaks through him. Jesus says as much in John 16, that he is speaking to us through his Holy Spirit. And that's what verse 3 to 5 get at, this, this, the sheep listen to the voice of the shepherd. So during, during World War I, there was actually some soldiers who tried to steal a flock of sheep from just outside of Jerusalem, on the hills outside of Jerusalem. And the sleeping shepherd awoke to find his flock being driven off. And he couldn't recapture them by force. It wasn't possible. So he called out to his flock with his distinctive call. And the sheep listened and they returned to their rightful owner. The soldiers couldn't stop the sheep from returning to their shepherd's voice. The voice of the shepherd warns, startles, guides, encourages the sheep. There's warning, there's direction. That is what Jesus does. We talk extensively about this in our Hearing God course. And I mentioned that because we plan to offer that again in the future. And, and it's, I, I'm such a, a big proponent of that because it helps you to practically learn how to hear the voice of God, how to welcome the voice of Jesus into our lives. My sheep hear my voice. That's for now. Verse 14, Jesus says there, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And he says that, and then he adds there, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Did you, do you ever stop and go, whoa? I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as I have relationship with the Father. Seriously? That, that, is, that is the most intimate relationship in the universe. And Jesus says you can have that. The picture of the thief and the robber who enter the sheepfold by another way, it, that's directed at the religious leaders who cared nothing for the state of the people. They were absorbed with themselves, the blind man being the prime example. They didn't give a rip that he was healed. They could have cared less about him. Ezekiel 34, 3 and 4, the whole chapter in Ezekiel 34 deals with the state of God's people and the shepherds over them and what they're doing. And God warns them in verses 3 to 4 there, Ezekiel 34, he warns those who take advantage of God's people, the ones who don't look after the weak, the sick, or those injured, no regard for the stray or for the lost sheep. They're brutal and harsh with them, it says there. And because of this, God says, my sheep are scattered. And then he says in verse 11 there, he says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. Verse 10 and 12 here in John 10, Jesus speaks of the thieves and the wolves, the devil of the danger, the, sorry, the danger of the devil that comes from the outside. The devil who comes in, the thief who would come in. You know, I was, again, just the timing of things. I, I encountered, I had a, a couple conversations this week and encountered uh, more news about what's going on right now underneath our noses the midst, in the midst of our communities with human trafficking. And I, I still am grappling with this. I've asked questions of some people who are more in the know than me. 
And someone who works in that world, they told me this week that it is virtually in every single community, including this one. And I mean, what, first I would say, keep your kids off social media. Seriously, keep your kids off social media. 13 and 14 year olds are being recruited for trafficking. But, but these are the wolves. That's one example of wolves. They're wolves. Kids that are plucked right from these types of communities, drawn by false promises and lured into situations that destroy, utterly destroy their lives. And the danger is real. It's all around us, and it's ugly. The answer is, the answer is Jesus. It's not too simplistic. The answer is Jesus. To teach and model for our children what it means to live close to Jesus. What it means to stay close to him. To listen to his voice. Teaching our children and teaching ourselves. What does it mean to listen to the voice of Jesus and follow his way? Second thing we see here. Jesus came to save us. Verses 7 to 9. So, really he's saving us from ourselves. That's one of the aspects here. Jesus comes to save us from ourselves. You want an example of this when it comes to sheep? Because what, what's being shown here is that we're sheep. Okay, Sheep are incredibly foolish, ignorant animals. Do you know that? I, like, they really are. And I'm sure maybe some of you, you've probably seen this video. If you haven't, Steph's going to put it up here and maybe we'll even play it twice because it's like 30 seconds if you miss it. Um, just zoom in, Steph, on the, um, yeah. There's no volume too, by the way, I realized, so don't even worry. There's no volume. <laughs> okay. Look at this wonderful sheep. <laughs> okay. Can you play it one more time? Like, like, it's so, I watched this probably five times when I saw this originally. I was like, no, no, no. This, this is in England, okay? Like, look at this, la-di-da-di-da, whoop! Sheep, that's sheep. That's sheep. In case you're wondering why sheep need a shepherd. The shepherd is committed to keeping us free from fear and danger, from the threats that surround the flock. Now, now in, in, to, in, in this metaphor that Jesus is using here, it's, it's about protection and guidance. That this saving that he's speaking of here is found in relationship to the shepherd and staying close to him. And this is, this is pointing to, all, ultimately, to salvation, yes, you know, and that was worked out by Jesus' followers and the gospel writers after his resurrection. And, and, and after his claim, they, they realized Jesus was raised from the dead. He claimed to be the Messiah. And then, and then they're working that out in the New Testament. But here, Jesus is expressing this positively through knowing the shepherd. We, we hear Right? We, we hear, we'll be saved, and, and instinctively, there's a bunch of like theological mechanisms in our brain that go, tick, 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 and we just, like, and it happens in like milliseconds where we're like, tick, 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 we will be saved. And we right away think about salvation. Yes, okay, yes, 
But we can miss what Jesus is actually saying here in the context of what's happening here. Because he says in verse 9, he will come in and go out and find pasture. That, that phrase going in and out, that's a Hebrew phrase that speaks of all of the actions of our lives, the going in and the coming out. It's just speaking to what, how we're living, speaking of our free will, of how we choose to live our lives. And Jesus is saying in that, in me, you will find all you need. In me, you will find pasture. You will find the pasture that you need, but it is a choice. There's a choice to be made. Psalm 23, 2, it says there, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Really, just interesting aside, Mark 6, 39, where it speaks there of Jesus feeding the 5,000, there's a very specific wording there where Mark talks about how Jesus made them sit down on the green grass. Little tidbit, I love that. I can't take credit for that. Dave Perry uh, spoke about that years ago. But sheep need four requirements met if they are to lie down. Four requirements. First, they have to be free of fear. Fear must be eliminated for sheep to lie down. Due to their timidity, they will refuse to lie down unless they are free from all fear. Now you go, like, how is that possible, Paul? Like, Free from all fear. You're telling me I should be free from all fear. That is an impossibly idealistic view, is it not? Like, are you kidding me? Free of all fear. I'm telling you that's what sheep have to have to lie down in green pastures. This is a quote from um, a book on Psalm 23. The Oh man, what's his first name? Last name is Keller, not Tim Keller. Uh, maybe Phil Keller. Anyways, this is the quote. We live a most uncertain life any hour can bring disaster, danger, and distress from unknown quarters. Life is full of hazards. No one can tell what a day will produce in new trouble. We, either li we live either in a sense of anxiety, fear, and foreboding, or in a sense of quiet rest. Which is it? Generally, it is the unknown, the unexpected, that produces the greatest panic. Hello right now. It is the grip of fear that most of us are unable to cope with the cruel circumstances and harsh complexities of life. We feel they are foes which endanger our tranquility. Often our first impulse is to simply get up and run from them. Then in the midst of our misfortunes, there suddenly comes the awareness that he, the Christ, the good shepherd, is there. It makes all the difference. And he goes on and he says, I find myself delivered from fear. It is possible to be living free from fear. It is. When you are next to the good shepherd, it is possible to not live with fear. Two, sheep have to be free from friction with other sheep or, and the tension that that brings, free from the rivalry, cruelty, and competition. You know what we talk about with chickens, the pecking order? Like we get that from chickens, the pecking order? Well, the sheep actually have that too, and it's called the butting order. True thing. That's, that's how the sheep, they, they butt each other, and it's really mean. And the shepherd's presence 
is what makes all the difference with the sheep. The goal of the shepherd is contentment. And so we, we've got to guard against this in our lives. Self-preservation, jealousy, contempt, discontentment, which grows into covetousness. All of that, that's what happens if we're not close to the shepherd when we're with the other sheep and it becomes all about us. That's what the sheep do. Ezekiel 34, 15 and 16, 20 to 22, it says, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you shove with flank and shoulder. That's the budding order. Budding all the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away. I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. This is, this is all about Jesus' care for the weak, the disadvantaged, the disregarded, those looked down upon by the strong and the successful. Jesus is going after and caring for those. And so do we. You think about that in regard to what's going on right now in our country with the indigenous peoples. And I think that gives us a lot of pause. It, it is, you know, it's in weakness and brokenness that we meet Jesus. As, as difficult and hard as some of this stuff right now can be, when, when, we, when, we, when we encounter that in our lives, when we go through weakness and really profound brokenness, they are the very place where we encounter Jesus in profound ways that we will never encounter Jesus apart from that. Third thing is that to lie down, sheep need to be free from flies or other pests, which it's all about aggravation. They can't, if they're aggravated, they're not lying down. It's the care of the shepherd to make sure that that's taken care of. And for us, that's the care of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us. It's personal and it's specific, and it keeps us from aggravation. And the fourth thing, to lie down in green pastures, sheep have to be free from hunger. If they're, if they're satisfied, and they, or sorry, if they're not satisfied, and they feel the need to have to look for food, they will not lie down. You're not getting a sheep to lie down. And, and green pastures do not just happen in the Middle East, right? Like you're not going into the Middle East and finding all these luscious green pastures. Shepherds had to work to make green pastures. There was a lot of work that went into cultivating and making that space for their sheep. Extremely hard labor. And the shepherd undertakes this in the care of the sheep. Think about this in, in relation to Jesus claiming to be the bread of life and needing everything that we need is found in him for our nourishment. He's basically saying, feed on me for your contentment. You want to be content in life, feed on me. 
This is Jesus' heart and his desire for his flock. Freedom from all of that so that we will find pasture. Only the shepherd can do this. Only the shepherd can do this. It's dependent on his diligence and his presence. And Jesus says, I am able and I am willing. So you might say, well, but, but here's the thing, Paul. We live in lives, like we live lives of just total uncertainty right now. Like how is this, like what a wonderful idealistic view, talking about shepherds and sheep lying down in green pastures. Like come on. Like good luck with that, Paul, with that kind of view. Truthfully, I am battling for the removal of all four of those things in my life. Okay? To get to the place where we can assess and acknowledge where these are present in our lives, where we need the removal of these things that are threatening our ability to find pasture with Jesus. There's vulnerability and, and there's power in that, being honest. So I am not standing up here claiming that I have found that Zen life. It's not that. But I know who the shepherd is. And Jesus meets us right in the middle of that. He met the blind man right in the middle of all that junk. Third, lastly, Jesus came to bring us into abundant life. Verse 10, into an abundant and full life. It speaks of joy and contentment. The, the word there for, for abundant in the Greek is parasos. It's, it, it's interesting, it has a mathematical use. A lot of it, it was a term used in mathematics at the time, so it speaks to surplus. And, it, and it's speaking to how God is sufficient to meet all of our needs. There's contentment, there's security. It, it's speaking to the fact that God himself, whatever is going on, is enough. So let's be really careful that we don't twist this into a Western mindset of what culture tells us is the abundant life. That is not what Jesus is getting at here at all. It is such a twisted half-truth to claim that this somehow means we're going to have it all in terms of this life. That's using Jesus for your own desires and wants. It might, it might allow you to justify a thoroughly secular approach to faith, but it will not lead us into contentment with Jesus. In fact, the abundant life isn't necessarily an especially long life. An abundant life isn't necessarily an easy and comfortable life. What the abundant life is, is satisfaction and contentment in Jesus. This is about life in the kingdom. This is about eternal life. It's seen in Eden. It's seen at the end of Revelation. That's where we're going. This is what Jesus is offering. This is where all of history is headed. Relationship and worship before the throne. This is, this is you know, and this too, this is Jesus once again speaking to what he's been leading us up to 
uh, to this point in the Gospel of John. There's, there's a pattern here, right? There's what Jesus has been revealing to Nicodemus, what Jesus revealed to the Samaritan woman at the well, to, then what he revealed to his disciples, then what he revealed around him to those uh, that where he was at the Feast of Tabernacles. It's just this progression of what Jesus is revealing who he is to be. And he's, what he's revealing is, I am the source of all eternal life. The one who offers us life himself. And so this is perhaps where we need a massive shift when it comes to how we see these promises, because they're not dependent on circumstances. Praise the Lord, they're not. They're dependent on a person and relationship with that person, Jesus. So what what do we see in these verses? We see our need for the good shepherd. We see our need for his presence. How do do we seek and pursue this is a question. How How do we spend time cultivating hunger and longing to see Jesus, like actually to see Jesus, spend time in his presence, seeking his presence, stirring longing for his presence, stirring longing in us. Jesus, I just want to be with you. How, how can we trust this shepherd? Why do we trust this shepherd? Because this, this is the issue, actually. Ultimately, in every one of us, so much flows from this. Do we trust Jesus? The, the reason that we can trust Jesus, and, and this is so important, So many people, including myself, we struggle with trust. Who can I trust? And things happen in our lives and people let us down and things are said about us and we're put into situations where we go, I don't know. Who can I trust? Jesus is the one. And the reason that I believe that we can trust him is because he claims, he says, I can lay my life down and I can take it back up again. He says, he claims that authority here. I have the authority. And by all all historical accounts, every single one, he did just that. Jesus died, he suffered, but he was risen by the power of God to new resurrection life and he lives forever. And that is why he is completely trustworthy. And I believe, I believe that Jesus holds the power over sin, death, and the grave. And if he does, and I believe he does, he is the one to follow. Amidst all the brokenness, Midst all the suffering, midst all the pain, Jesus is the answer. When we feel like it doesn't matter how much we have, it doesn't matter how much I've accumulated, I just can't find peace. I just can't find contentment. I don't know why more stuff isn't making me happier. Jesus says, It's because you need me, you need the shepherd. Jesus is the answer, and he's trustworthy. And so this is the choice before us. 
Will we follow the good shepherd? Will we listen to his voice? Will you stay close to the shepherd? There will always be those who don't follow. The people were, you saw it right at the end of that. We read it. The people were so divided by Jesus' words. There were some that refused. He's a demon. He's possessed. Forget it. And Jesus doesn't look to, to correct. I am the good shepherd. In me, you will find what you need. So I want to I leave us with some application here as we, before we pray. There's three, three things for you to go away with and just work through this week with the Lord. First, how am I doing with following Jesus? Like staying close and listening to his voice. How am I, how am I doing with that? Two, which, which of the four requirements for contentment am I in need of? Where do I need freedom from fear? Freedom from relational friction or tension? Freedom from aggravation in my life? Freedom from hunger? If I'm looking to other things to satisfy my hunger and I'm not going to Jesus. Of those four, where am, what am I in need of? Maybe you're like me and you're like, I need all four. Three, am I experiencing contentment in Jesus? And how can I cultivate hunger and longing for Jesus in my life? Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you that you are so faithful. You are so, so good. You repeat more than once in these verses that I'm the good shepherd. And we remind ourselves, I love those words that David spoke. So prophetic, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, I will have no need. And the Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing that I lack. Jesus, we, we admit and we confess that many times we look to other sources and we look to other things and we don't know how to deal with pain. We don't know how to deal with rejection. We don't know how to deal with emotional stuff. We don't know how to deal with circumstances around us. We don't know how to deal with things that are flying at us. What do we do? And we miss it. Jesus, I pray that you would remind us out of your word and, and that, that it would become this, this life-giving truth. I'm the, war, I'm the good shepherd. Come to me. You'll find pasture. You'll find what you need for contentment. Jesus, we thank you that whatever we are going through, whatever we are facing right now, whatever we're feeling right now in the moment, that you're there. Holy Spirit, that you are with us and you are right here saying, I want to minister the life-giving power of Jesus to you. We receive that, Jesus. We receive it, we receive it, we receive it. Amen.